So I'm going to do something today. I, you know, today is Palm Sunday. And we, some of us were talking about, I don't know if you grew up, did anybody grow up in church where we actually had palm branches? Yes. Now, of course, that's a little different here in <laughs> Midwest compared to San Diego where I grew up because palm branches are everywhere. And it's not a big deal to have a bunch. Like we would literally pass them out to everybody on the way out and nobody thought twice about it. But, you know, here that might be a little difficult. But I love the idea of, of that, that day and celebrating what that is. So I want to encourage you to do this even. This is your, just kind of your own personal homework. How many love homework? Anybody ever liked homework? No, Ian, really? Are you serious? Oh, sorry, Isaac. Isaac, really? You love homework? Okay. Well, anybody else like me really didn't do a lot of homework in high school? Okay, thank you, my, my people here. Now, in college, that's different, of course, but I'm just saying. But anyway, here's your homework. Today's Palm Sunday. Today would be the triumphal entry. We have one week. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but as you look at the Gospels, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, in some of them, this is the, the, the most of the book is covered in this one week. So many things happen in this one week in Jesus' life. So I want you to delve into that. What I want to do today is a little bit different. I was, I was studying for this week, and, and because Pastor Jeremy spoke last week, I've just spent a couple weeks just thinking about this Sunday and studying. And something kept striking me. And, and then, uh, do, you, do you do this? Do you have, like, you look at the Bible characters and you kind of have favorites? Does anybody else do this? Yes, thank you. One person, thank you. Thank you, brother. All right, so let me just ask you who's your favorite uh, apostle, disciple? John, Peter, Daniel wasn't an apostle, but, but that's okay. I'm talking about the 12 followers of Jesus, though. Those 12 guys, nobody said Judas, probably, right? <laughs> Anybody say Nathaniel? Poor guy. Or Bartholomew? No one ever thinks about those guys. Well, here's the thing. There's, for me, Peter has always stuck out. And it seems like he gets a bad rap a lot, and people, you know, they make fun of his mistakes, which I understand, but I love that guy. I love his passion. I love the fact that he was the one who jumped out the boat, right? They all saw Jesus. Only one guy got out of the boat. I want to be that guy. I like that. Now, of course, you know, he had other mistakes and he did things. But as I was thinking about this week, I was thinking about him more and more and just started to look more and more into his life. And I think, I think for most of us, there's going to be a reminder about who he was. But what I want to do is take a look at some of the instances in his life and specifically how Jesus called him. Jesus called him. We're going to look at four calls, but he called him actually five different times to things. It's interesting. Because the other disciples were called at some of these points, but it's Peter who was called repeatedly. It's interesting to look at his life. So let's take a look at this. Think about him for a minute. He was raised as a working man. And I don't mean that people who work at a desk aren't working. I don't mean that. What I mean is this guy had to work hard his whole life. And most of the jobs in his day were manual labor, if you think about it. He was a fisherman. It was probably a family business, and we know that because his brother Andrew was involved in it. And we know it was his because at one point, we're going to read this in a minute, it's referred to as his boat. He had skin in the game. He bought a boat. He had a business he ran. We don't think about it very much, but this was a difficult life. He would have involved nets. They didn't use line like what we would use maybe today. They would have floats. They would have all this. It would have been probably a daily thing. And think about this for a minute. It would have been usually at night. And we know this even from Scripture. It was a rough job to have. And it wasn't like today. It wasn't like fishing for most of us, which is a leisure thing, right? Or for like, like Roger, it's a little different. For sometimes it's fun, right? And then other times it's work. But for most of us, it's not work. It's fun. 
For him, it wouldn't have been like that. He would have never thought to take his kid fishing like what you and I think about. There were no bobbers. Wouldn't have worked that way. He didn't probably have even barbed hooks. It wouldn't have looked like that. No trolling motors. Think about this for a minute. No motor at all. When he took his boat out, it was by the, it was by the sweat of his brow and the brawn of his back in rowing a boat. It was work. Just, have you ever tried to push a boat off of the shore in the first place? I mean, they're heavy. It's, it's not what we think. I want you to understand, this is a man who worked really hard for a living. It was a difficult life. No fish finder. <laughs> right? He's throwing a net out there. And, and at times, maybe he, put, he set nets and had to go check them. But regardless, this is tough work. His hands would have been really, really rough. Because he would have been in and out of the water all the time. There was no... I can't even think of a brand of skin cream. Is Nivea cream? What does that come to mind? Jergens, whatever. None of that existed. Do you realize this? I get my, my edges of my fingers crack when it's dry. Can you imagine his hands? He's pulling up those nets. They're wet. They're dry. They're wet. They're dry. It's a rough life. He would have been a strong guy. At least, I mean, strong. Then he would have spent time mending nets. And then when they have a catch, he's going to have to call out the fish that aren't sellable. Then he's going to have to sell the ones that were. And think about fish for a minute. There was no refrigeration. There was no ice. Do you, you ever think about that? Life without ice? Anybody ever been to Europe and you have to ask for ice? You're like, how do you people exist? <laughs> right? How did they preserve that? Short of just laying them in salt, they had to sell them that day. Does that make sense? You guys follow what I'm saying here? His life would have been a day-to-day existence of difficult, hard-labor work. Well, in the middle of that, it also would have involved teamwork. I'm sure they worked out some things with other boats and other people. We know that you know, his brother, Peter and Andrew, they had some type of relationship with James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were also fishermen, and they fished together at times. We don't know how that worked necessarily, but we know that. And I know, I know I've recommended this before, and it, if you are using the notes in the U version, I put a link to this. There is a new series on the life of Jesus that came out like two years ago. It's called The Chosen. I, I love it. Yeah, it is so good. Yeah, thank you. A lot of people are like, so good, beautiful. Yeah, it is amazing, actually. And they, they did this really differently they, a couple, in a couple things. One of the things that's really different is they basically produced it in eight episodes, like for TV shows. So they're only like 30, 40 minutes long, and there's eight of them. And they've just now, they're in the middle of producing a second series right now. And they did it as a um, crowdsource-funded thing. So you can give toward it. Like if you want to download it, you can pay a small fee, and then you can share that with people. You can gift it to people. I love it. But in that series, actually the picture on the series isn't even Jesus. It's Peter. It's interesting. And it shows some of the, what might be the inner workings. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I look at Bible movies or that kind of thing, I, I, I have to turn off this critical thing in my head. Because I'm like, ah, oh, they didn't look like that. Or it wouldn't have been like that. Or it would have been this. Or it would have been that. So in this series, when I first started watching it, I'm like, who is this? What are they doing? Why are they telling it from Peter's perspective? And then they're telling it from different people's perspective. And then the more I got to it, and I thought, you know, this is really well done. You know, the, the Jews look Jewish. I hope, I'm not trying to offend anybody, because then the Romans look Roman. They look Western European. It's really, I, I don't know, I like it a lot. I recommend it. So in that, they show kind of that interrelationship between the two as fishermen. Uh, it would have been a hard life. He was a married man. We know that. We know that his mother-in-law probably lived with them from Scripture, because there's one point in there where Jesus heals his mother-in-law. We know he's Jewish. 
Do you you ever forget that the Bible's Jewish? I hope not, because it came from them. There's something about that culture wrapped into everything there. And for us as 21st century Americans, it's healthy sometimes to look and see what what they would have thought when we look at it and just assume it because we learned it all in Sunday school. He would have probably had a coming-of-age type ceremony done. Now, for those of you who have relationship with Jews, you know about the bar mitzvah and the bat mitzvah, usually at age 12 for boys, 11 for girls. That really didn't come into official recognition until probably the Middle Ages. But they would have had something for him. As a Jewish boy, he would have been given extensive training in the Old Testament. Extensive. He would have memorized copious amounts of the Bible, especially the Torah. He would have known his religion really well. Every Jew did. He would have had an expectation drilled into him that the Messiah is coming. The Messiah. The Messiah, who's going to bring back the former glory of Israel. Right now, they had been, basically, at this time, Israel had not only been under Roman occupation, but before that, of course, uh, Assyrian and Babylonian. And then they'd come back into Israel, what's now Palestine. And if you've ever looked at a map, it's kind of the land bridge between Africa and Asia. Probably did that backward if you're watching here. Africa and Asia, right? Everybody trumped through there. Everybody just took advantage of them. They were a people group who really wanted back to have their own kingdom and the respect that they used to have. They wanted to be free of the cruelty and the oppression of the Roman government. I know people complain about our government, and I get all that. I understand it. But we cannot even fully understand what they dealt with. It would have been a difficult, difficult time. He would have probably spoke Aramaic, which would have been the common language of the Jews. He would have also spoke a lot of Hebrew, if not fully fluent in Hebrew, because he was a Jew. He probably also spoke at least some Greek. It would have been familiar with Greek because that was the language of commerce. He was a businessman, had to sell fish. We don't know if he could write. Um, A lot of the disciples probably didn't, but some would have. Matthew would have for sure. Luke wasn't a disciple, but we know he wrote the book of Luke. He was trained as a doctor. Peter may have written... We don't know. His book, uh, the book of Mark is basically Peter's memories, so Mark probably would have written that. We know uh, Peter's books, First and Second Peter, are very, um, very high Greek. They're very uh, educated Greek, so he probably used a secretary, which was super common in that day, to write, write down that book. At some point, he hears Jesus teach. Now, I know it's, it's interesting because we don't, we don't necessarily know when that happened, but we know he did because Jesus came to town, and it was a big deal. We also know this, that Peter was searching. He was looking for something. Our world is searching. Have you noticed that? The world, human beings are always searching. No matter what the culture we're in, we're always searching. The sad thing is, we try to find these things that will fit our needs and meet our needs, whether it's a cause or whether it's, sadly, sometimes medication, if it's alcohol or or whatever. We're always searching. We want fulfillment that can only come from God. We know he was searching because his response. Christianity, most often, outside of Western culture, has always been on the margins of society. But people are searching, and they will always be searching for that truth. They're looking for a connection to God. And here's the thing. As our culture searches, I think a lot of times they're searching, but they're not really interested in maybe what Jesus is really offering. Because Jesus said to count the cost. Look at this in in the book of Luke, chapter 14. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, If you want to be my disciple, my follower, 
You must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Can you imagine how disturbing that was to hear? Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. I know that sounds harsh. I remember reading that as a kid and like, Jesus wants me to hate my mom? I love my mom. I thought he liked his mom, right? It's a comparison thing. Jesus used language beautifully. He was a master. What he's saying is in comparison to the love you, the familial love you have for your family, the love for me has to be that much greater. I don't know if our world's ready for that, honestly, because that's not really what the world is about. He goes on and he says, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. That's self-sacrifice to another level. He says, don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? And he goes on to say, otherwise you run out of money. And then he uses another example, and he says, nobody goes to war without counting their troops and see if they can match the troops of the other person. Following Christ is not all sunshine and roses. Or rainbows and unicorns. I don't know what your thing is, your utopia, but it's not that. You know what it is? It's self-sacrifice. It's harsh sometimes. It's putting others first. It's, it's laying down our own wants and desires for somebody else. It's caring more about them than we do ourselves. It's following Christ's teaching, but all of his teachings, not just the ones we like. <laughs> it's love, joy, and peace too, but it's more than that. Peter was seeking truth, and we know that because of his response to this call. So here's the first call from God. We know that he probably saw John the Baptist preach because in this particular scripture, this John chapter 1, it says this. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. Now, this is not Peter, but likely his brother. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. He's talking about Jesus. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following, and he said, what do you want? I love these pictures. I, and maybe my mind's different than yours, but I imagine it's like this. Jesus is preaching, then he starts to go, and these guys are following him. He's like, what are you guys doing? You want something? You want, you want some of this? I'm just kidding. He probably didn't say it like that. But, but really, he did. He was asking him, do you want this? Do you want me? What do you want? And they said, <laughs> they reply, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? What they were asking is, what is your life? What are you, who are you? Who are you? What are you doing and he says this phrase that I want to sink into your hearts. Because this is what Jesus says to all of us and everybody. Come and see. He invites people, come and see. He invites it. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he's staying. They remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon's brothers, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. I, Messiah is Hebrew. Christ is Greek for the same word. The anointed one, the promised one. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. I love this picture. I want you to translate this picture to your life and everybody you know. Jesus says to you, come and see. He says the same thing to people out there. And if you have found truth in him, then you need to go find your brother and bring him to Jesus. We're supposed to do that. Jesus says to him, he looks at him intently, he says, Simon, son of John, 
you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The invitation is there for the curious. Now, some people, they don't want to hear. I, I get it. Maybe they've been wounded, hurt. Maybe they're angry. I don't know. Maybe they're just satisfied with their life the way it is. They're not ready to hear. They're not curious yet. But there are those who are curious. People need to see Jesus. They need to see him. When he meets Jesus, he follows. He believes. Like many of us, he believes. I wonder, though, how much did he know at that point? I mean, how much? Did he, did he have any idea what he was getting into? <laughs> Probably not. But our people need to see Jesus. People need to see him. And not the Hollywood Jesus, or at least who the world says Jesus is. Because they have this character, this picture of who he is, and it's, it's so different than probably the truth. Not a Jesus who approves of all of our excesses. Not a Jesus who, who lets us make up the rules for ourselves. Not like the grandparent Jesus that some people think he is. You know what I'm talking about? No, no offense to any grandparents, but you know, you tell the grandkid no, but then you let him do it, and then you give him candy, right? And then the parent has to retrain him when they get home. Because like, grandma said, what? And she let you, (laughs) that's not Jesus. Yes, he loves, but it's love and truth. There's more to it than that. I think of it like this, and I, if you've never seen uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that movie, or the, read the books, I recommend them. It's an it's a incredible allegory about Christ. And in the books, Christ is portrayed as this lion. And the lion's pretty fierce. And the kids who are introduced to the lion, before they see him, they don't know he's a lion. They don't get that part yet. So there's this great quote where Susan, one of the girls, she says, Aslan's a lion? I was tempted to do the English accent, but I'm not doing it. Uh, The lion, the great lion? She she says, ooh, I I thought he was a man. Is is he quite safe? I love what British people talk. Is he quite safe? You know, like, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And then the beaver answers and he says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. I don't know if people get that. He's the king. He's good. But that doesn't mean he's a pushover. He's not safe in the sense that he doesn't have have standards and rules and have a way he wants us to live. But he's good. What he asks us of, of us is right and good. I wonder how many of us have actually answered this first call like Peter, but we're not really committed yet. I mean, we're we like the idea of who Jesus is, but maybe we don't really know. Maybe we just give mental assent to who he is. Yeah, he's God, I get it. He's God and he's Jesus and I get that. But it doesn't change us in here. Perhaps uh, you're challenged by that today. I don't know. But it's, it's more than that. He calls us to actually more than that. To change our behaviors, our values, our attitudes, our decisions. We're not meant to be Christians in name only. Christians that are basically Christians, but on our our terms. Christians that pick and choose what we want when it suits us, when it's most of the time, when it's beneficial to us. That's not how it works. I think of our third president, brilliant man, but he didn't like parts of the Bible. Have you seen this? And he literally cut parts of the New Testament out. There's, I think there's four still in existence. There's two at the Smithsonian and two at his, at his museum. We, we don't really have that option. 
That's not how it works. Then there's Peter's second call. In Luke chapter 5, it says, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Remember the hard work I was talking about? Stepping into the one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, this is Peter, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Pretty smart if you think about it. You know how voices travel on the water? I don't know if you've ever been on a lake or a pond or something, and you can hear somebody talking and they're way away. Smart idea, way to amplify your voice. Master, okay, when he had finished speaking, he says to Simon, so I want you to think of the scene here, and this scene is portrayed in that, in that series uh, called The Chosen, but imagine Simon Peter, he's already met Jesus, he already thinks, okay, this guy's cool, I got this. But now he's sitting and hearing this sermon. The man's preaching in his own boat. He's still probably washing his nets. And then Jesus says to him, Now go out where it is deeper and let your nets down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. I don't know about you. Have you ever had anybody tell you how to do your job? <laughs> really? Have you ever had that happen? No? It's fun. I'm just saying. Some of you who work in people's homes, I, I know some of you in the church who do that, you know, where you're installers or whatever. And I, I was asking somebody the other day, like, well, because of the COVID thing, I was asking, how is that? You know, and you, I know you wear a mask. And he goes, well, it's their house. And if they don't, you know, I don't tell them to wear a mask. And I'm like, well, they probably let you work, do your job. And he goes, no, <laughs> they're right over my shoulder the whole time. What are you doing? How does that work? What's going on here? Well, imagine Jesus looking at these fishermen and telling them, put your nets out. They're like, we, we've had a long night. We, we know what we're doing. There was no fish today. <laughs> but he says to Jesus, he says, if you say, I'll let the nets down again. Do you, I want to be like that. When the master says, do this, all right, you said to, I'm going to do it. Because a lot of times I, I feel like I'm praying and I'm, I realize I'm telling God how to run his world. I think you really ought to do this. And have you thought about this and this and this? And I feel like sometimes he's like, yeah, I, I thought about that. I, I actually made that. Like, oh, yeah. Okay, maybe I don't understand everything. Maybe I don't have it all figured out. Maybe he does, and I should just do what he tells me to do. And at this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, which is probably James and John, and soon, both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, the fullness of that miracle hit him probably more than any of us. Because for us, we know the whole Bible, right? We know he walked on water, and we know he raised the dead, and like a big catch of fish is no big deal. But for Simon Peter at the moment, he understood the impact and the hugeness of that miracle. And he falls down and he worships him. And he says, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. And I think that's what happens when you encounter Christ for who he really is. It's difficult to just stand there. Because you're laid bare and you realize, I'm a sinful person and I'm, I don't measure up. And I make mistakes and I'm, my attitudes aren't right sometimes. And I, I, I'm not worthy. He was awestruck by the number of fish they'd caught. As, they, as were the others with him, his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And replied to, Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, this is, blows me away. They left everything and followed Jesus. Everything. Their boats, their nets, the fish, 
their career, and they follow Jesus. They encountered Jesus there in a way that we need to encounter Jesus. The people who you know, maybe they've met him in that first call, but, but maybe they haven't met him like this. And maybe you haven't. I, I don't know everybody's encounter with Christ. I don't know what experience you've had. But I want to challenge you to something this morning. I want to challenge you to something this morning. If you haven't encountered him like this, you can and you need to. You need to experience this. The fact is, he's calling for all of us to experience him this way. These calls aren't just for Peter. He's calling you just like this. And he wants you to encounter him in a way that is supernatural like this. We're all called to this mission to be fishers of men. We're literally called to that. It's it's a scary world we live in, and I want you to understand it's scary. But it's also this, the road is narrow. We, We want everybody to go to heaven, but the fact is, unless they encounter him like this, they probably aren't. It's not just this feel-good religion that's nice all the time to everybody. It's it's more than that. It's more than that. It is that, but it's more than that. He calls us to not only be Savior, but to be Lord. He is the Lord. This third call comes, and it's a big call. If you, if you think about Peter's life, he had that first call, the second call where he left everything. Now he's following Jesus. Probably they're, they're all living together. They're probably walking together, eating meals together. He's hearing Jesus teach. He's watching Jesus. He's seeing how Jesus treats people and how it's different than the way he had been treating people. How he sees how he treats women with respect and dignity. He treats those in the underclasses with respect and dignity. He treats children with respect and dignity. That was not common in their culture. He treats those of other races with dignity and respect. You think about that story of when he went to Samaria and it says he had to go there. They didn't have to go there. Jews often would take literally a day's trip around to avoid Samaria. He chose to go there. Probably he wanted his disciples to see that these are children of God and deserve your respect, and he cared about them. And then they end up staying with him there, violating all those Jewish rules. He cared about them. This third call is a big call. You, you might be like Peter before this call, where you've been sitting maybe in a pew and hearing about Jesus. You know about him. You've learned about him but you haven't really committed to him. I don't know if that's true of you. I don't know if that's true of you watching online. Maybe you like a lot about him, but you're not sure you want to buy in all the way. So Jesus calls his disciples, and this call, he chooses the 12 who are going to be the closest to him. And we know from the rest of Scripture, Peter was one of the inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. Not his brother Andrew, and not the others, but Peter. So he makes this call. In Matthew chapter 10, we see Jesus called his 12 disciples together and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits, to heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. I'm not going to read them all, but first Simon, called Peter, then Andrew, Peter's brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, James's brother. <laughs> and then in verse number seven, I mean, there's other things in there, but in verse number seven, he gives them this charge, this call. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, Cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, give as freely as you have received. These calls are for us. 
All of us. All of us. And this one too. I mean, we're called to believe, to experience Jesus. We're called to belong to him, just like the disciples belong to him. But we're also called to go and to tell. And maybe you're reading those things and you're thinking, wait a minute, I don't know if I can do all those things, but we're called to do those things. And I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are online, where you're watching and thinking about this. I don't know what level you're at. And maybe you're saying, well, wait a minute, that's not fair. That's kind of a heavy-duty call. That's like, that's like for you, the professional ministers, right? You get paid to do all that stuff. You know what? It's not like that. What it's supposed to be is we as the ministers, we equip you for the works of service. And maybe you're saying, well, wait a minute, that stuff's kind of over the top. I don't know about that. Maybe you're even saying this. It's not really fair because you don't know what I've been through. I don't. I don't. And I would never minimize what somebody's been through. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're saying, well, Pastor Dennis, you don't know about the questions and the doubts I have. You're right, I don't. I don't. Maybe you're saying this, you don't know how tough it is for me. It's already super tough for me to live for Christ at work or at school or in, even in my home. I don't know. Maybe you're saying the temptations that are on me and the peer pressure and all of my friends and they think I'm weird already and there's no way I can follow Christ like that. You're right, I don't know about all that. I don't. Maybe you're saying this. Maybe you've thought this before. Well, it's totally not fair. I mean, Jesus saw, I mean, Peter saw Jesus in person. I mean, Peter, Peter got to touch him and see him and eat with him and walk with him every day. It's different for him than it is for me. He saw miracles. He saw all those fish get caught. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law. He saw him feed 5,000. He saw him heal people who were blind and lame and dumb and had leprosy and people who were crippled. We saw that. He even saw demons cast out. You know what? Jesus is calling you to see that same stuff happen. Maybe you don't realize it, but there's more to this than just sitting here and getting, being a better person. It's actually being part of making the change in our world and our society today. And these miracles weren't supposed to just stay there. They're for all of us. Maybe you're saying to me, well, Pastor Dennis, I'm not qualified anyway because you don't know what I've done. I don't. I don't know what you've done. You may say, I don't know, I've failed too much. I don't know about all that, but I do know this. I know 1 John 1, 9 and 10 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And verse 10 is awesome. It says, if we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word is no place in our hearts. We've all sinned. Think about Peter, because there's more calls for Peter. On the night Jesus was betrayed, Peter I even like this part about him. He boasted a lot. You ever notice that? I think he thought he was better than all the other guys. And he boasted about it. And on the night Jesus was betrayed, Jesus comes in. He's, he, he, they're all seated there to eat this meal, this Passover meal. And as they do that, Jesus shows them what servant leadership means. Takes off his outer coat, puts a robe, or a, a apron on, washes their feet, and tells them this is how you're supposed to serve. Then he starts telling them how he's going to be betrayed. And Peter says, there's no way that's going to happen. So let's read this. In Matthew 26, on the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. And Peter declares, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Can you see the scene? There, Jesus, it's like one of those things where someone's talking about you and you're right there. And you're like, hey, I'm, I'm right here. I'm standing here. 
Because I imagine Peter saying this kind of stuff, and the other disciples are right there, and he goes, well, maybe they'll desert you, but not me. (laughs) Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Three times you'll deny that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same thing. If you know the story, they get to the garden, and uh, bef- before they had even gone, in, the Luke's, in Luke's version here, they, Luke, Jesus says to them, does anybody have a sword? Because if you don't, you need to sell your cloak and get a sword. And uh, then they say, well, we have two. And Jesus says, well, that's probably enough. And then Peter, when they first come at, at Jesus, Peter wildly slashes one of the servant's ears, and Jesus heals the ear and all that. I mean, miracle after miracle. And then as Jesus is arrested and he's put on these trials, Peter, probably with John, gets into the courtyard. And there, one of the servant girls says, weren't you with Jesus? And you know the story. Peter says, no, I I don't know him. And I, I know part of us might justify that. And we're thinking, well, he was just trying to get by that moment, you know, because he needed to see what was going to happen and whatever. And then the scripture said, another servant girl says, wait a minute, I, I think you were with him. No, 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 I don't even know him. And then later it says one of the standers by, it says that they, they recognize he has a Galilean accent. They say, no, 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 you talk like one of them. You're, you're there. <laughs> Chapter 26, verse 74, Peter swears. He swears. A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went away weeping bitterly. I don't know. I don't know what you've done, but I don't think it compares to that. I don't. I don't know. All I know is this, that we've all sinned, and every one of those sins is covered by Jesus' blood, and he forgives, and he forgives completely. For Completely. I know that. And I don't know about you, but I know Peter, he probably felt like the biggest failure of all time. He'd just been bragging and saying it was better than all the other disciples, and he does this. And, and I don't know if you've really looked into the story, but we don't see him mentioned again. We see John mentioned. John's at the foot of the cross with Mary, his mother, and some of the other ladies. We don't see Peter. I don't know where he was. I don't know if he was watching from a distance. I don't know if he was feeling like such a failure that his life didn't even matter anymore and he couldn't show his face. I do not know. But I know this. That the fourth call of Peter happens right here. And this call doesn't come from Peter, but it's sent by an angel to Peter specifically. And in Mark chapter 16, when they entered the tomb, the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday, they saw a young man clothed with a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. Notice Peter's not there. And the angel says, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. (laughs) He's risen from the dead. Look where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee and you will see him there as he told you before he died. You know what that tells me? He never gives up on you, ever. No matter where you are, no matter what point you are in that process of believing or becoming or or going and being part of the group, No matter where you are in that process, maybe you've had a hiccup, maybe you've made a mistake, maybe you've done something wrong, maybe you haven't fulfilled what you thought you should fulfill. 
Maybe you feel like you're just not good enough or you're not smart enough or educated enough or spiritual enough or holy enough or whatever reason you feel like you don't qualify. Jesus is still calling. He never stops calling. He never stops. He continues to pursue us. He continues to love us. He continues to care for us. He continues to forgive us. And he continues to heal us and mature us. He never cancels you. Never happens. He's always calling. The question is, will you answer that call? That's the question. I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us. And as they do, I'm going to ask for for all of you to do this with me. If you would just stand. I'm going to invite people to come and be prayed for today. If you would like prayer for literally anything, you're welcome to come be prayed for. But what I'm specifically wondering too is if anybody is feeling this, you need some reassurance that God is still calling you. You need some reassurance that he's still forgiving and you want someone to pray with you. We want to pray with you. If you're online today and you need prayer, you can always, always reach out either in the online comments or you can email the church prayer at crownpointchurch.com. You're always welcome to do that. We encourage you to do that. But I'm going to ask you all to shut your eyes. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I just want you to answer honestly. And these answers aren't for me. I don't, I don't need to see hands because God does works that we have no idea about. I don't need that. What I need is for you to make that decision and to choose to answer or not. So I'm just going to ask you simply, with everybody's eyes closed, just so you have a sense of, of, just a sense of being alone in a room full of people. Privacy is important. I'm just wondering, how many of you have responded, you feel like, to that first call? You believe he's real. If you just raise your hand. I appreciate that. You know, I'm curious about is those of us who maybe you've, maybe you've been walking or around Jesus a long time. How many of you would say you're part of that second call? You've already responded to that. Let me ask you this third thing. Maybe some of you, God is calling you this morning, and he's calling you to more than that. To actually get in and know him, to work for him, to do what he's actually asked you to do. Does anybody feel a sense to that call this morning? Anybody at all? If you would just raise your hand for that. I see that. I appreciate that response. I'm going to ask a different question. Same question, but a little differently. Maybe for you, you've never actually followed Christ before. But you feel like today you want to follow him. You want to get to know him. You want to experience him in a deeper and a different way. You want to actually tell him that you're sorry for the things that you've done that were wrong and you want his forgiveness to apply to you and you want him to change your life. Anybody like that here this morning that you would just raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. I want that relationship with Jesus. Anybody at all, if you would just raise your hand and we will pray with you. All right, I'm going to do this. If you're, if you're prepared to help us pray, if you would come down and help us pray. We're going to pray for a minute as the worship team leads us, and then Pastor Jeremy will dismiss us in a minute. But if you would like to help us pray, if you would come down front, and if you would like us to pray with you about any of those things, we want to pray with you this morning.